0: Hello, and welcome to Short Takes on Tech, the podcast that brings you quick insights into the latest innovations in the produce and floral industry. I'm your host, Vani Esses, the VP of Innovation at the International Fresh Produce Association. We're thrilled to kick off a special season recorded live at the Global Produce and Floral Show in Anaheim last October. Picture this, the vibrant atmosphere of the trade show, the podcast booth located right by registration, and the unmistakable buzz of excitement from industry professionals. It was an incredible experience, and we've captured the essence of it in this season. Throughout the upcoming episodes, we'll be sharing two to four interviews in each episode, featuring discussion with experts from new companies and pioneers in cutting-edge technologies within the industry. These bite-sized conversations are designed to give you quick glimpses into the companies solving our biggest problems in the produce and floral industry. Feel free to skip around and explore the topics that pique your interest. Each interview is approximately 10 minutes long, making it easy for you to stay informed in the midst of your busy schedule. So whether you're a seasoned professional in the field or just curious about the latest developments, we've got something for everyone in this season. Thank you for joining us on Short Takes on Tech. Let's dive into the world of innovation and discovery together. Stay tuned for insights that could shape the future of the produce and floral industry. Greetings, tech aficionados, and welcome to Short Takes on Tech, your go-to podcast for quick insights into the dynamic world of technology. I'm Bonnie Estes, your host and the Vice President of Innovation at the International Fresh Produce Association, bringing you the latest and greatest from the global show. Today's episode is a double feature, highlighting two pioneers who are leaving a mark on the industry. First in our lineup is Walt Duflock, the VP of Innovation at Western Growers. If you're in the ag tech startup scene, you're undoubtedly familiar with Walt. And if you're not, you're about to be. Join us as we dive into the mind of this trailblazer and explore the innovative landscape he's helping to shape. Following Walt, we have the pleasure of hearing from Melissa Ackerman, the CEO of Planet Harvest. Melissa is on a mission to revolutionize the produce supply chain and make a positive impact on the environment, health, and society. Get ready to be inspired as she shares the vision and passion behind her mission-driven company. So whether you're a seasoned tech enthusiast or just dipping your toe into the vast ocean of innovation, this episode promises to spark your curiosity and fuel your inspiration. Get ready to be inspired by these two industry leaders who are changing the game. Hi, I'm Bonnie Estes, your host of Fresh Takes on Tech, and we are here in Anaheim live from the show. And so exciting to be here and so exciting to be able to talk to different people, interesting people, interesting companies, just these short takes to figure out you know, what people are thinking about at the show. And my guest right now is one of my favorite people, and I'm just going to start by having you introduce yourself and and what you do, and then we'll take it from there.
1: Sure. Hey, Vani, my favorite people as well. <laughs> um, so I'm Walt Tuflock. I'm the Senior Vice President of Innovation at Western Growers. I work with the Fruits, Nuts and Vegetables crowd. So a lot of the folks that are here are members as well. And we basically focus on a couple of things at Western Growers, automation and labor, biologicals and chemistry, and the next gen Ag workforce to get ready for both of them. My personal background is fifth generation family farm in Monterey County that does cattle, grapes and greens. And a 30 year career in Silicon Valley working at a number of startups, the last 10 years has turned into ag tech. Excellent. Thank you for that background. So, we've, as you've noticed being here, there's a lot of talk
0: about technology. And I, it just, it's warmed my heart. I'm sure yours too, that, you know, we've kind of opened with how important technology is. And that's certainly a direction that, Western Growers has gone in and IFPA is going in that direction as well as looking at we have a lot of issues in our industry and we need solutions. And so there's a lot more focus on technology this year at the show than there has been. And you and I both listened to Steve Wozniak a couple hours ago. So what did you think of Steve and what he talked about?
1: You know, he was as fantastic as he always is. I've had a couple of chances to hear him over the years. Waz is a legend in our inner our valley, in Silicon Valley. Obviously, he and Steve Jobs got Apple going. Thought he had just some great takes on, on tech, some great stories. He's a great storyteller, still a great storyteller. And I think, I think he's right. I think technology is going to continue to have a huge impact on a lot of industries, including ag. And um, I just thought listening to him talk about, you know, as we say, that's, that's in our lifetime. Stuff yeah, he was talking about. And you roll that out. We saw this in yesterday's conversation with Elliot and Johnny, you know, trying to roll it out 10 years, try and roll it out 20 years. We don't know, but we know it's going to change a lot. And we know that people who can figure out where the change is coming first are going to have somewhat of an advantage in getting there.
0: Yeah. And it, that it, it does take time. And I just it just popped into my head. There was a A panel that you chaired recently, and there was a guy from Trimble, I don't remember his name, but he was talking, we were talking about data, and we're talking about the amount of data, and there's so much data, and oh, it's all messy data, and this is all just horrible, you know, messy data. And the guy was like, You know, when we first started this 20, 30 years ago, to think that we'd be talking about we have too much data, he said, this is a high-class problem, and now we just need to figure out how to clean it up. And so that perspective, and I I think Wozniak had a, a certain, you know, similar type of thing of, like, this perspective of technology and that... We feel like you know sometimes things go faster than we expect, and sometimes it just takes decades, you know, to to get things moving. And so I think that was a really important thing, especially and for startups too. You know, it does. You're not you're not going to get going, especially in agriculture. You know, you're not going to become Google in a year. So it's exciting to watch.
1: Play the long game, and and the data point is totally right, Vani. I mean. Elliot said it, the best time to collect data, to start collecting data was 10 years ago. The second best time is today. Yeah. I think that's generally true. And I thought his comment was exactly right. Don't even ask why. Just know that you need to have it. And in this case, the why may turn out to be because the artificial intelligence wizards that are going to take that data and do things with it, they, they they always benefit from more of it. So you're exactly right. Did we think we'd be swimming in mountains of data 30 years ago? Probably not. Now are we trying to create even more swim lanes to get into? Definitely so.
0: Yeah. So we're also, you know, there's a lot of conversation about AI at this show and and also from the comments from Elliot yesterday and from the work that you're doing, how are you seeing AI worm its way in and how do you think it's going to change the industry?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Hot topic, right? Yeah. At At all the shows we both go to. I think yesterday's conversation summed it up nicely. There's a lot of headlines saying AI is going to take all the jobs, and there's a lot of headlines saying AI is going to create a bunch of jobs. The truth, as always, is probably somewhere in the middle, but that's not a great headline. Yeah. So I think I think the truth is in the middle. I think it will make some jobs difficult to hang on to because they will automate nicely and AI will solve them, if you will. And I think there's going to be tremendous opportunities for jobs we haven't even thought of yet inside agriculture as AI comes up, comes out and really starts to do some things. I do think AI is going to be tremendously enabled to the data point. Sorry. To the data point, AI is going to tremendously enable itself because all these equipment manufacturers, right? The weeders that are now doing it at at numbers that make sense for the growers, the thinners, the planters, the harvest assist, these are now making sense for the grower and they're up and down the rows a lot. So they're going to have massive treasure troves of data. That's when the AI guys are going to come in and say, you know what? You asked me to help you identify where things are planted so I can help you weed better and harvest better. But oh, by the way, I can also help you do a better job on soil health in between the rotations, maybe do some regenerative practices because you don't need to till that stuff as often. So ironically, by getting all the data will enable the AI guys to really take over because without the data, they can't do the analysis. But with the data, they can take over. So I think the next 10 years, hardware retains its importance on the field. You've got to have automation solutions out there. But I think the software side of the world, I'll say it this way. Right now, I think we're two thirds, one third hardware to software in terms of importance. I think that flips over the next 10 years becomes two thirds software, one third hardware.
0: Hmm. So right now, as you said, a lot of the that equipment that's out in the field is gathering the data. Do you think that data is going to be gathered in a different way in the future? Is that going to be like gathered by drones or do you think that'll change?
1: You know, that's a great question. I actually think you're going to have a ton of ground-truthing because I think the drones... It'll always be a little more regulated what you can do in the air versus what you can do on the ground. Yeah. And if you look at the farm NG and burrow platforms, right? These are the fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollar platforms. Yeah. Those are those are gettable. We're seeing community colleges and four-year colleges buy these for the Farm Robotics Challenge. Now they've got them. So what is Clint, Clint Cowden at Hartnell going to do? He's going to put his students to work on the burrow, right? On the farm NG machine. What is what is uh, you know P- Peter Livingston and all the guys at Cal Poly going to do? They're going to put guys on these machines. So when you think of the number of passes that a small autonomous robot can make through fields in a one-year period they're going to start collecting stuff because they're going to have new imaging to go get they're going to have new sensors they want to test out i think people are going to do things it's like when the when the chips got so cheap you could put it in anything we did yeah when the sensors get so cheap and the robots get so cheap you can put it on anything we will i think at that point you'll collect data just to collect data we'll figure out what to do with it later but i think soil health will get better because of all the all, all the automation data collection we're doing
0: That's really fascinating because that was the next question I was going to ask you is just about adoption, especially, you know, there's still a a lot of the larger weeders and thinners and harvesters are still too expensive for smaller farms and the price will come down that's not a complaint that's that's how innovation goes you know but but thinking i was going to ask you like how is that adoption going to happen and i think you answered the question you know with 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 things like burrow and farm and g where you have these smaller pieces of equipment that just can dart around i loved it at the show in salinas where the the poor burrow you know guy was just out by himself going up and down the trees you know And all the other pieces of equipment, you know, they had like 10 people making sure that they stayed running, you know, but then there's a little burrow just, you know, all by itself. And I thought that was just a great example of if we, you know, as we can make these more simple, the adoption is just going to be faster.
1: Exactly right. And having worked with Charlie and the burrow team for, geez, six or seven years now, Vani, I can tell you AgTech has a lot of 10-year overnight successes, right? I mean, Charlie just kept getting after it, getting after it, getting after it, stayed focused on two things. Harvest Assist for table grapes. And that served them really well. So now it's a full built out platform and they can do more than Harvest Assist and just taking the stuff back to the truck. Now they have accessories, now they have third parties, but they wouldn't be here, I would argue, if they hadn't got some great investor advice from Kirk Haney and others and some really focused work by the team. Nailing Harvest Assist allowed them to build a platform around it that now allows them to be this low cost robot provider and they go to market with those accessories on top of the borough i think i just I, again I've, I've said this before i see great things in borough's future they're at a price point that, that that's right they're solving problems that matter and they're solving it at economics that work for the grower and to the go to market point yes the borough's in that 15 to 25k window and they have pacific ag rentals as one of the dealers now moving them on a rental basis but even on the higher end machines the stouts the Farmwises, these six and seven figure machines there will be service providers that buy these machines and offer it on a per acre or per activity basis. I think that's what we get down to. the. If you look at the earlier days, right, so we have a 1,400-acre wine vineyard on, on our ranch. We bought the Polonk machine in the 90s because we could afford the $350,000 with Mondavi growing it. My sister has 80 acres. She couldn't buy that Polonk machine. But when someone from Pastor Robles found her when she needed a crew because somebody stole a crew from her by paying them more money, oh. it happens. She was only too happy to say, yes, I'll do that for $500 an acre. She's never gone back. She's never bought the Polonk, but she's happily a user of the Polonk for going on, I think, 12 years now.
0: Let's talk about labor and technology a little bit. I know this is an area that you're looking at just across all the way from in the field and then also just training workforces for the future. So how are you thinking about labor and how does technology fit in with a new labor force in agriculture?
1: Yeah, exactly right. So so I think where automation fits is we continue to see a shortage in domestic labor and mm-hmm. not just the U.S., a lot of countries. We've seen a huge lift in H2A, right, like 7X from 48,000 in 05 to 371,000 in 2022, and, and that's driving the price up because with H-2A labor comes housing and transportation. So that's pushing all of our members to, to reconsider. If I need to go all in on H-2A because I don't have a domestic workforce, I better try and push autom- you know, automation even faster. So I think in, in two ways, number one, the increasing labor cost is saying I better look at automation sooner and harder. And then number two, oh, you know what? I better get a skilled workforce to learn how to run all those automation solutions because this is not your dad's farm worker job. It's not your granddad, your granddad's farm worker job. This is a new farm worker job. So the community colleges and the four-year colleges have a role to play to get those, those skilled workers out there because whether it's Taylor Farms, Driscoll's Berries, or Braga Fresh, or it's a service provider for them, they're going to need people to build the robots, service the robots, sell the robots, take care of the robots oftentimes 60 miles from a dealer. So you better be a problem solver as well, Vani.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you've been at the show today walking around. What do you think of the show? What do you hope to get out of being here?
1: Yeah, I really like the layout. Just congratulations to IFP. It's a fantastic show. It's my first one, actually. I've seen a lot of pictures. I feel like I know this show already, but I don't. (laughs) Um, I love the layout. I love that it's you know, rows 1 through 25, I think, or 24 are like all the all the food products, all the floral products, very well laid out. Rows 19 to 24 are awesome for the snacks that turned into my lunch. Um, by design, I didn't need that much. I've been eating well this week, thanks to you guys. And I would say putting all the, the business solutions and then the tech in one area is a great idea. I'll make a little plug and take a little shot at the same time. Hey, Tulare, you listening? We could use some of that at your place because I got to walk a lot at Tulare to see the guys I'm seeing here in a couple hours, right? Oh, interesting. What Tulare does for dairy and cattle, the one in four industries in our state, very well, they could do for specialty crops. You guys have done that here because all of the fresh produce startups are in pretty much a couple rows, which makes it really easy for me to see all the folks I want to see at the show.
0: Great. Well, I'm glad you're hanging out over there. Yeah, it's great to have that whole space and really focusing on both the accelerator companies and, and other startups and just giving them the opportunity and the platform to talk to the industry. Right. Well, our time is up. I, I always say that Walt and I should have do our own show because we could just keep going. <laughs> we would probably lose everybody else. We're like, okay, enough To-do list. Yeah, I that's like right. it, buddy. Yeah. But I always love talking to you and thanks so much for coming to the show and all your support over the years.
1: Thank, Thank you. you. It's been great.
0: We're recording live from Anaheim at the show in these short conversations that we're having about 10-minute conversations. We get to hear about people who are at the show, what they're thinking about, what they're interested in, what they think of the show. And this is the last conversation. Woo-hoo. And I'm so happy, be, yeah, so happy to be having it with Melissa. So I'll turn it over to you and uh, introduce yourself and Great. what you're working on and uh, your new exciting journey.
2: Awesome. So hi, I'm Melissa Melshanker ackerman I am the CEO of Planet Harvest. I began Planet Harvest at the beginning of this year, but we've just kind of gotten things moving. So, Planet Harvest is a mission-based company, a for-profit company that we take excess food, excess product from the fields, and we move it in innovative ways to increase the percentage of produce that people are eating as well as access to produce. So, we have a lot of different programs we're working on today, but we have seen really amazing success and even the short time, because I think people, this is the right time that people are excited to be able to take this product that might not be perfect. Um, we're calling it consciously craveable products. So product that people are thinking that there is a sustainability play. Because if the product isn't perfect today, in the US at least, much of that product is being put back into the ground because it costs more for it to be harvested than to be able to move it somewhere else if you don't have a home for it. So our goal is... And as much as donations are amazing, the scalability and sustainability of a business to be able to buy this product um, that we call a third channel and move it in ways that won't cannibalize sales but will actually increase the percentage of sales is really our goal overall.
0: So where is it landing? Is it landing at retail, or where is it so landing? So today
2: we have we have plans and ideas and, and goals, but today it's landing at universities schools, food banks that are actually purchasing the product, or sometimes we'll get half the product donated and half the product bought. It's moving to 501c3s um, that have the budget to purchase it. It's moving, like, for example, in Hawaii, we've brought a bunch of um, emergency boxes to Hawaii. Right. And yeah, so it's been it's been incredible. Like, I have an, just an incredible team of people that believe in this mission. I mean, it... <laughs> It's just so incredible to wake up in the morning and be like, wow, like what will happen today that we can really make a difference and to enjoy that and to really see that, the, you know, for me, there's like the simplest solution. There's food available and there's people that need food and there's people that also just need more creativity around what to eat and how to do those things. So that's where it just seems like such a straight line in my mind. Although the complications of the supply chain are insane and we know that, but that's our life. That was my world. And so for, with my background in food service and moving produce across the country to thousands of different you know, concepts and restaurants and airports and hotels, like the pandemic just taught us that like we have to be able to be boldly optimistic of what we can do and we have to be flexible in what we can do. And my biggest belief is using existing infrastructure to make that change. So
0: what geographies are you in?
2: So we're across the country, but like we have pilots in different areas. So in Texas right now, we are with UT Health and Harris Health, and we're doing a program where we're working with high-risk pregnant moms, and we are working with our distributor Brothers um, Produce, who has their existing infrastructure, brings a truck five to ten miles from the mother's home, and then DoorDash is actually taking it to the home and so also in partnership with solving Bright.
0: that last mile solving challenge that you and, and i have worked on together <laughs> 100% and you know and
2: brighter bites is also our partner on this and they then provide that education and the recipes and and those things that are needed but it's incredible i mean we're seeing the the mothers you know th- then they go back to the hospital and they have their levels checked and i work with an incredible dr Srila sharma from ut health that's helping you know develop this this protocol but it's just in my mind it's so clear on the on the logistics and and that's my side of it and then you get these incredible experts in health and and those things and so yeah just really working to be able to expand that and really show that we have so much to offer with our fresh fruits and vegetables and that it should have a place within the healthcare system
0: so how are you building there's that is really complex. I mean, there's so many pieces of it. You talk about it like, oh, it's just this, and then we do that. You know, <laughs> There's like all these different pieces. So how do you
2: build out a team to have the expertise to do all these different pieces of it? Yeah, I mean, so we're using existing infrastructure and leveraging that. So I think yeah. that's one of the key points. And, you know, we're not buying distributors. We're not buying trucking companies. We're really using existing infrastructure. But the team that I've built so far is people that have had experience in that and who are just they're incredible. Like I could, I have, I have the vision of what needs to happen. And then I have incredible execution with my team. We're working through it and we're growing. I mean, last month we had really only been selling produce with a procurement person that could sell it for us for six weeks. And we sold over 1.5 million pounds in six weeks of rescued produce. And so we're just getting going, but it takes, I think like the right people that have had that experience. And then, the, the shared common interest to do mission-based work because when you're doing that, it's. But we're also doing business and doing good, so there's that business aspect yeah. that people can really you have to do be able well. to stay in business. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's just I think that that's the best part right now is a, this fun atmosphere, and, and I hope we get bigger and we can do things across the world in in general. But when you walk the show floor and people are coming up to you and saying, "I saw you know what you're doing. How can we get involved? Mm-hmm. What can we do?" it makes my team excited too, that there's just this really bright future and there's so much space for so many people to be part of this. It's not just us. Like we just like to bring silos together. But, um, I think food loss and food waste just, it's the right time for us to really focus on that as well as the other things we're doing in sustainability. So you just started this recently, right? And so what it's bold,
0: and scary, and I'm sure lonely sometimes. So, but was there a point at which you made a decision of like, I, I need to do this, this is what I believe in, this is my mission and vision, I need to go? Or was yeah. it over time, or kind of how, how well, did so, you get there? <laughs> yeah, so
2: during the pandemic, I, I participated in the USDA Farmers and Family Food Box program. and I, So my family's in the industry. My dad was um, the CEO of Produce Alliance, and he taught me the industry. But you know, I think there was something about that time that people were like, just stick to what you know, we don't need to expand. And I was like, no, like we are doing this. I can feel it in my gut. And we had a huge contract and we've moved 9.2 million boxes in four months of produce and dairy and protein and all of these things that like I hadn't purchased before then. And we moved it. and, And what I saw from there is like, we just have this incredible infrastructure of cold chain supply and purchasing and all these things. And I was like, I, I want to do more of this mission-based work, and so it feels really good to be able to bring these different silos together of amazing people I've met in my life. Um, so, for example, my friend Diane, that's a purchaser at Stanford. She just she connects so many incredible people. But we, I was last week or two weeks ago, I went there to meet and to speak, and the menus of change, which is you know a group of uh, mm-hmm. universities, uh, people coming together and buying you know, just to be able to be with that group of people and then bring it back to distributors and bring it back to growers. And it's like bringing those silos together. So to get back to your question, I just knew it was my time. I had a very strong conviction. I felt it internally. And um, with everything you all are doing, even with IFPA, with the Food is Medicine, I just knew it was my time to take a leap of faith. So how's the show been? And what have you learned? And what do you hope to get out of the show? Show's been incredible. It has been, even from the first day, I was, I have to say, like, I was in a focus group. And it was interesting. I walked in, and it was really only two produce people and then eight floral people. And so we started talking, and everyone's talking about what they're doing these days. And I brought up the Food as Medicine trial and how it was a high-risk pregnancy group. And at that table, we had a conversation about why, like, flowers really also increase mood and memory and make people happy. So from there, I called my partners on this Food as Medicine projects and said, can we put flowers in half of the boxes and see how that also affects people's moods and numbers and levels? And they loved it. And so then I got to walk the show and meet people for, with flowers and put this whole thing together in less than like 48 hours. And I can have purchases starting next week. That's so fabulous. That's, I'd be so
0: curious to see what the results of are. Oh,
2: yeah, are. of course. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's like you know, with the power of IFPA is, it's like, and I've loved being on the board and I'm rolling off this year, but just the people you meet and the information you get and like what you're able to accomplish, you know, you truly get from IFPA what you put in. And that's, you know, that would be my one thing and advice for people. Like there's just a role and a position for everybody. And the more you put into IFPA, the more you'll get out of it for yourself and for your career. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank I you hate to stop there. I'd love
0: to talk to you for hours more, but thanks <laughs> we'll for being that. here. We'll do
2: that offline. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you.
0: All right. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode of Short Takes on Tech, recorded live at the Global Produce and Floral Show in Anaheim. We hope you enjoyed these brief but insightful glimpses into the world of innovation shaping our industry. As we close this episode, we invite you to mark your calendars and make plans to attend the 2024 show in Atlanta. It's sure to be another fantastic opportunity to connect with industry leaders, discover groundbreaking technologies, and stay at the forefront of what's happening in produce and floral. Cheers to the exciting future ahead. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you more short takes on tech in the episodes to come. Until next time, stay curious and stay innovative.